We stand at the edge of this new year. These 365 days in front of us. And instead of letting them blow by us, we look each of them in the eye. And one by one. We live them with intention. 365 days of sheer purpose. Each lived like it's the only day we've got. What if I live every day like no other day is owed to me? I'd reach out to my dad. Make things right before it's too late. On my sister's birthday this year, I'd call instead of text. I would wake up in the morning and I would ask God what He wants me to do. I'd take those vacation days I still haven't used. Instead of inviting her to coffee, I'd invite her to church. Make myself get up early so I can watch cartoons with my kids. I'd give myself a break. I would take her to that park she's been wanting to go to, the one that's all the way across town. I'd say I love you, and I'd say it every day. On Thanksgiving, my table would be open to the whole neighborhood. Mother's Day would mean more than a $5 card. I'd let God have all the stuff weighing me down. I'd have more courage, because I'd have nothing to lose. I would take Jesus seriously when he asked us to feed the hungry. Serve the very least of these. Look after the sick. I'd be quicker to forgive because he forgave me. Living every moment with intention. Taking every purpose by the horns. Leaving nothing unsaid. Leaving nobody behind. Making every minute count. I would use every hour I had on this earth. To love God. To love others. One intentional day at a time. All right, good morning. I love that video. It's uh, uh, just this theme uh, going into not just, how about this, not just going into a new year, but we're going into a new decade right now. Um, 2020 is so much cooler. It's so cool to say, how about this, we're living in the 20s. You know, so sometimes, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to be talking about us as the people living in the 20s. You know, it's so weird to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been excited. I think it's the coolest year. I was going to do a sermon on vision, but I thought every church in the world is doing a, vision, a sermon on vision this morning. And I thought it was too cheesy, so I'm not doing that. But um, I do want to talk about uh, just one of my, you know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm going to talk about King Josiah in just a minute. Um, this last year, uh, Melinda and I, we have two dogs now. We hadn't had dogs in a, in a long time uh, since uh, my, my uh, I had a huge dog when I lived in Austin. His name was Canaan. He was a 120-pound lab, and he was the most precious dog, you know, and when some of you can identify with this, when I lost uh, Canaan, I didn't know how hard it was going to be, but it was actually extremely heartbreaking for me. And um, so we hadn't had dogs in a while. Well, this year, we, we for the first time in my life, I have two dogs. I have two mini golden doodles. But one of them's not a mini. It turned out he's not mini at all. He's, he's, he's kind of a big dog. And um, it's, it's been hard for us uh, to uh, adapt to this. Even though I love my two dogs, they are crazy. And um, I am, um, I don't know if it's a weakness or a strength, but um, I, I love to organize and to clean. Um, and I like to keep things. I hate clutter. That doesn't mean I don't have clutter in my life. I always seem to have clutter. And I don't know why that is, because one of my favorite things to do is declutter something. Um, but I want you to think of a room, a drawer, a closet, a garage, a car, whatever it is in your life right now. And some of you are like, it's all of it. But if, 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 if there's something that right now that you could go and say, man, if I just had a day, I would love to declutter this. 
you know, and just think about what it would be. Um, right now in the winter, every winter it's my garage because I, I don't like getting cold, so I'm not going to mess with it. But, but whatever it is that you're like, man, I got to get the clutter out of this. Well, I've got to be this way more and more in my house because if there's anything left where it's not supposed to be left, my dog will destroy it. And I had a red pin. That's it. A red pin out on my desk because I love red pins. I got red pins everywhere. I come home and I notice that my dog's drinking bowl is pink. And I call Melinda and I was like, are you putting a new additive in their water? Uh, is this like to anti-tartar stuff? And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, their water's pink. I don't get it. And I was like, well, I, I don't know what's... Then I was walking down the hallway and I saw a red piece of plastic wadded up in the middle of my hallway. I was like, that's strange. wonder what that is. Then I see my dog. My dog's face is covered in red ink. All of his fur is covered in red ink. The back of my other dog, where he chewed on my other dog, is all covered in red ink. There's red ink in some of my carpeting. There's red ink in some of my furniture. There's red ink down the hall. I got red ink. I'm going to be cleaning up in my house for a little while because I left something where it wasn't supposed to be, you know? And I've got to get used to not doing that. And it's hard for me. But I want you to think about something you'd want to declutter. That's going to be important in today's sermon. I'm going to be in, if you don't mind opening up with me, I'm going to be in 2 Kings 22. I'm going to look at the life of Josiah in just a minute. I know some of the middle school and high school have been studying the kings, and so you you may get more out of this. But um, it's crazy when you think about the history of Israel. And I'm just going to kind of contextualize what's happening here in, in, in 2 Kings 22 um, and looking at the life of Josiah. Um, the kingdom was divided, you know, after the life of Solomon um, and Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Uh, the kingdom of the north, just to give you some perspective of the kingdom of the north, there were nine different dynasties. Now, a dynasty is a family, of course. There were nine different dynasties that ruled over the north, 19 kings, all of them evil. Every single one of them was evil. Only one of them became king. Only one became king without his predecessor being murdered. That was the northern kingdom of Israel, that murderous. Most of these kings sacrificed their own sons on the altar of Moloch. It was a sick place. In fact, it was so bad that a couple of years ago, um, we were, a couple of us went to um, a museum. I guess it was the display of uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the exhibits there had all of these foreign gods, these Asheroth that were spread out. And it said, contrary to popular belief, ancient Israel was not a monotheistic people. And I was sitting there thinking, if you never read the Bible, that's what the whole Bible is saying, is that these people are not monotheistic as a culture. The Bible is, and the teachings of the prophets were, that as a people, they worshipped all kinds of gods. And in the middle of Jerusalem was a temple. Now that temple occupied 35 acres. It had a large outer wall. We had the court, the the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. We had wall after wall after wall to designate this one building that was well guarded by walls, by guards, by 35 acres. And inside it's a vault. Think of it that way. And inside of the vault, simple. You have an Ark of the Covenant, three pieces of furniture, and that's it. Now imagine if I tried to take 35 acres in the middle of Fort Collins. What that would cost. 
Now, what if I designated all of that land, 35 acres to one building, one small building in the middle of this field? And that building is a vault, and it contains one piece of furniture. What a waste of land in the middle of Fort Collins. And that's exactly what the Jews thought of their own temple. 35 acres, one building for one piece of furniture. And so as they grew as a kingdom and Solomon got all of this wealth and they invaded other people and they brought in other gods, other treasures, where are you going to put these treasures? Well, we have a vault in the middle of the city. So they kept storing treasures, gods, altars in the temple because that is the vault in the middle of the city. The temple became cluttered with foreign gods. It actually became a warehouse and a storehouse where things were just piling up and becoming cluttered, particularly under one king. Um, Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Three of those kings were fairly righteous kings. Um, Ahaz was not. He sacrificed his own son um, to the god Molech, and he killed a lot of people, and he, he contributed to these treasures. But the kings of Judah as a whole were wicked people. There's one exception that was in their history. It was the youngest king in, in Israel's history. How about this? He was seven years old when he began to reign. His name was Joash. His mom was a, a, a very wicked queen, the only queen to reign over Israel. Her name was Athaliah. She tried to kill off the bloodline of, 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 um, of David, um, but she missed one, this young seven-year-old. So Joash becomes king at seven. The, the people crown him king, and all of a sudden, he has to make decisions at seven for a nation. So I asked one of our seven-year-olds, um, this morning, what he would do if he was president of the United States right now. I asked Enoch, what would you do if you were president? He goes, first he said, I have no idea. <laughs> I said, I wouldn't either. Then he said, I would make sure everybody had something to eat. And I was like, okay, I'm going to vote for you, man. Uh, but, 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 I'm, but I'm thinking about that. I'm like, I'm like, man, this guy was making decisions. You know what? The first thing it says about Joash, he listened to his advisors. Now, that's one of the only kings that it says that about. And you know that Joash was one of the most righteous kings. At seven, transformed a nation, turned it around. And for generations, after Athaliah, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, only one of those was wicked. The rest were righteous men. And they led the nation in righteousness, especially up until Hezekiah. A seven-year-old transformed the direction of a nation. And you know what his first command was? We're going to repair the temple. We're going to declutter the temple. We're going to get all the junk that doesn't belong in this temple out, and we're going to make this a place that is for God. A seven-year-old listening to his advisors. But the problem is, Hezekiah, who's at the end of this, who was this righteous king, also had a son who began to reign when he was 12 years old. Now, seven-year-olds are sweet. Twelve-year-olds, I guess something else happens. Because, sorry... That's why I didn't ask you what you would do. Um, <laughs> but, but 12-year-old, something happens. And all of a sudden, this boy, 12 years old, kills the prophet Isaiah, according to Jewish tradition. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, has him sawn in half. 
kills his advisors, does not listen to his his advisors, sacrifices his own son on the altar of Molech, raises up temples throughout the land of foreign gods, and he completely devastates the nation of Israel. Manasseh destroyed everything. Not just in his lifetime, but in generations to come, Manasseh messed everything up. And all of a sudden, Manasseh, he's, he's killed off. And then all of a sudden, he has a son, um, Amon. And Amon only re- reigns for two years. And he's killed. He did exactly what his dad did. And you know what it says for every single king? When you're reading through Chronicles or you're reading through Kings, whatever king is lifted up, it always says one thing. One word defines each of their lives. And every single king, whatever it is, it just says this. He walked in truth. He walked in righteousness. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then it always says this. If you want to know anything else about him, go look it up in the Chronicles. Whatever else he did, go read it in the Chronicles. But it sums up everyone's life in one word. He did what was right or he did what was evil. Can you imagine that? Maybe you could do that with the list of the presidents of the United States. Maybe you could, maybe you could, you could say that was a good president or that was a bad president. If you could do that, just go through the entire list and say, what if your entire life, every decision you made, everything you did was summed up in one word? He walked and did what was right or he did what was evil. And those two categories, every single king receives one of those. He either did what was right or what was evil. Josiah is only eight years old when his father dies. His grandfather was the most wicked man in the history of the nation. His father was just like him. And now the direction of a nation that has been plummeted into evil and is sick is in the hands of an eight-year-old. And I wonder if he received the stories about Joash, the seven-year-old that ruled before him. One of the most amazing things to do, and I'm not going to do it this morning, is to take the story of Joash and put it beside the story of Josiah and realize how parallel it is. They even quote, Josiah keeps quoting Joash, as though this seven-year-old boy had become a model and a hero in his life, and he starts making the same decisions about the temple and what they're going to do. I want to go ahead and get into the text. This is Second Kings chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. The carpenters, the builders, and the masons also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. Now, those verses could bore you. You could get lost in them. What, what kind of really 
gives them a lot of meaning and depth is those last four verses I just read are quoting what it said almost verbatim about King Joash. The same command, the same thing, even this last line, they need not give account for the money entrusted them because they're acting faithfully. Everything about it, he's patterning his rule. What he's going to do to repair and rebuild the temple after his seven-year-old predecessor. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, look, I have found a book. <laughs> this is crazy to me. They have become so wicked they forgot what the Bible was. This nation's become so wicked that it's like they found the Bible and they were like, what's this? Now, when I say the Bible, keep in mind, I know what we're talking about. Let's say Deuteronomy. They find the law and they said, what is this? Look what I found. They found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord. They've entrusted it to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the, the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. With all the clutter, um, I brought this bin here today to kind of represent uh, your heart, my mind, a room, something that I need to declutter. And all the junk that's in it, I just decluttered a drawer this morning. And he's, you're going through and you're cleaning out the temple and you find idols to foreign gods. Um, you find all this junk. You find idols. There's my little idol. You find the book that you're supposed to give back to Hannah. Where's Hannah? This is for Hannah. I keep borrowing things. I actually did that on purpose so I'd remember to give it back. And in the middle of it, you find the law. And, and it's just buried. I mean, all this stuff, the stuff that was supposed to be holy furniture, the building, the grounds, 35 acres, one building was supposed to be dedicated to one thing. An Ark of the Covenant, and inside of the Ark of the Covenant, the law. And, 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 and he opens the book of the law, and I like to think that what he read, and, and, and actually some of the text that's to come indicates that maybe this is what he read. But I want to share with you Deuteronomy 17. 17 through 20. These were instructions for the king. This was written for future kings of Israel. These were the instructions that David was to follow, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, so forth. It says this. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. I picture Josiah with shaking hands thinking of Solomon. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law. Every king was to sit down and take the law and write it in his own hand. Taken from the priests who were the Levites, it is to be with him. He's supposed to write it down himself and carry it with him always. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may 
learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all of the words of this law and these decrees. King Josiah grew up in the most wicked empire imaginable. The temple has been trashed. The nation is in disarray. He's in a culture of murder and of sickness and he reads the law and he tears his clothes. Guys, keep in mind, we're talking about, now I know some years have gone by, but we're talking about a young boy. And to make a difference in your culture, man, the words that Terry shared this morning, we were designed to invade humanity. Particularly a king who was designed to rule, to change the direction and to change the course of a nation. All of a sudden, he gets serious about repentance. He's cut by the word. This is what it goes on to say. Um, we, read, we read some of verse 8. Um, picking up in um, verse 4, the next chapter. I'll get there in a minute. It says this, The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers, to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah, all the starry hosts. He burned them. Now, I'm not going to read this entire section, what I'm going to do, I decided to do, because it's long. He goes through the land, and he just goes straight Braveheart on everybody. He, he I just highlighted every time it said cut down, burnt down. So I'm just going to read those phrases. He goes through the land and just devastates everything that doesn't belong to God. Just devastates. This is what it says. I'm just going to read those words. He removed. He burned them. He took the, he took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with. He burned it there. He ground it to powder, to dust. He tore it down. He desecrated. He broke down. He desecrated. He removed. He pulled down. He removed. He smashed it to pieces. He threw it in the rubble. He cut it down. He demolished it. He burned it. He ground it to powder. I'm still going, I'm just going through what he's doing in the land. He burned it. He burned it, the altar to defile it. He, Josiah removed and defiled all the shrines. It particularly says this. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Behenim, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter to Molech anymore. But in verse 22, it says this. And I'll read through verse 25. Not since the days of the judges who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed as the one that he set up. The Passover had not even been observed. Nothing. Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah. Verse 25 says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. Josiah went into a holy rage. He had to transform the direction of his family and everything that had gone on before him. The trick to cleaning, um, and I'm terrible at a lot of things, but I love organizing and cleaning spaces. And like when my wife was gone for a while, I did this thing where I reorganized our entire pantry and our entire kitchen. She really didn't care for what I did because she didn't know where, didn't know where anything was after that. But I love doing it. And the way you do it is you pull out everything. You just pull out everything in the space you want to organize. You just throw it all out there and listen. You label stuff. You create a triage. 
This is stuff we're going to keep. This is stuff we're going to trash. This is stuff I'm going to tell my wife I'm going to keep, but I'm actually planning on trashing. This is what you do. You create this triage. You know I'm telling the truth. And in all this, and, and what you do is you designate this space for something. Now follow me. Okay, I'm not talking about cleaning. I'm talking about cleaning our minds and our hearts. You designate a space for what it was designed for. You do this with your time. You do this with your money. You do this with every aspect of your life. I'm going to organize this. I'm going to designate it. I'm going to label it. And if something does not belong to a purpose, it is gone. It is trash. It does not belong here in this space. We have two things that are fighting over this space. I guess I try to let these things represent something. That's just trash, which is most of what I find when I'm decluttering an area. Almost 70% of it is actually trash, at least in my life. Um, this represents my mind. I tried to use articles here that would represent my mind and things that I like. Um, entertainment, um, movies, video games, these kinds of things. I, I, I like these things, right? Um, but there, is a, there has to be a fine line in my life between what is holy and what is common. You know that that's what the entire book of Ezekiel is about? It's a long book. It's a weird book. But did you know the entire book comes down to one wall? The whole book is about a wall. And it says, you will make a clear wall in my temple and you will designate what is holy from what is common. And learning to do that in your life with entertainment, things like that. Um, I love books. I collect books. And there's a lot of books about religion that I have. A lot of them like this one are just super cynical and dark, actually. And I have to, de- I have to distinguish between what is from man and what is from God. And even though it's about God, it's still common But most importantly, and then there's false religions. I won't get into that. I love cooking. Uh, So this this was a cookbook that somebody lent to me. I love cooking. That can occupy too large of a place in my mind. But I wanted to bring this down to two very simple things. The hardest thing for me to declutter from my life. Idolatry. Sin, addiction, things that are trivial, things that I know I will regret, attitudes that I know I'll regret, things that my tongue says that I have no business saying, this beast that you got in your life, that every time this idol is removed from the temple, somehow it comes back in, and the word of God. My mind, your mind, is a temple. Says that in 1 Corinthians twice. Says it in 1 Peter. Your mind is a temple. 35 acres, a vault dedicated to one thing. What a waste. I'll clutter it with other junk. And God says, that is my house. That large piece of land belongs to me. That building belongs to me. It is mine entirely. But there's idols set up inside of it. And so Josiah goes in. And he sees that we have nothing but a history. Manasseh, Ahaz. He could go through a long list of kings. We have nothing but a history of you guys putting this junk in the temple and putting it back out. Some going throughout this land. 
and I'm going to ravage, I'm going to devastate it. And he goes and he takes these altars because he sees this as what killed his granddad. He sees it as what killed his dad. He sees it as what threatens everyone he loves. And he goes through and he breaks it. I was hoping I could break it this morning. It was going to be really embarrassing if I couldn't. (laughs) He goes through and he breaks it. But how about this? After he breaks it, you could just see him. It says he kept He kept breaking it. He ground it into dust. He burned it. He wouldn't stop because he hated it. He absolutely hated this stuff in his life and what Josiah had that the leadership of Israel need that we need in our lives today is learning to love and honor God's word above everything else and learning to truly hate sin, to see it as the enemy of God's people. Um says this in uh, Isaiah 66 two. This is the one I will esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. I could just see Josiah sitting down and opening the law and reading the commands that were given to the king knowing that at the end of his life, he would be join a list of kings and one word would be put next to his name. He did what was right or he walked in the ways of his fathers and he did evil. And he had to make a choice because he was going to be labeled. And I think that that's the prayer that I, I had this morning going into a new year. To go into a holy rage in your life. And, and, and I know that some of you might be thinking, Jeff, you need to remember grace. And I, this next year, I pray, is a year. We're, I'm so excited about things that we're going to be getting into this next year. This next week, we're going to be in Psalm 84, and we're going to be in that for a while. But there's one thing. I hope you know that grace covers, and, I, and grace is everything. But if grace isn't motivating us to a holy rage in our life, then I'm not sure it's actually grace. There is no greater motivator than grace. So let's not confuse grace with apathy. Let's not, let's not say that apathy and not taking a holy rage in your life and not, not going to war with sin in our lives. That's not grace. That's walking in a very dark walk. It's what led Israel into sin. Walking in grace is saying, my God forgives me. He loves me with everything that's in him. I'm his child. And because of that, he's designated me as his temple. And so I have to go into a holy rage about sin in my life. About darkness in my life. About things that are holding me back. About stuff that's cluttering the temple. Um. I love to declutter, but like I said, I don't understand why I have to keep doing it if I love it. I don't understand why I always have something in my life that needs to be cluttered if I love it so much. I don't understand why I preach like this, I talk like this, I think like this, I pray like this, but my mind is still cluttered. My heart is still cluttered. There's still junk that doesn't belong to God inside of my temple. And I don't think it's necessarily the Christian walk to just accept that. 
I think it is the Christian walk to know that you have God's forgiveness and you're his child and you have all of that, even with that junk in your life. I believe that. But I do believe that this year is a year that God is calling us as a church and your families and you and me to go to war with what's in our temple. To go into a holy rage about destroying idols that do not belong to him. And about giving ourselves wholly to God. An eight-year-old boy transformed the direction of a nation as a seven-year-old had done before him. The two youngest kings in Israel, two of the most righteous kings in their history. Uh, Father, I just want to come before you and I pray that you would raise up a new generation in your body today. God, that um, walking in your kingdom and walking in your church would be about higher things than we make it about. Um, I pray, God, that we would not walk in self-righteousness, but we would walk in true grace and that your grace would motivate it. I pray, God, for those that are here right now that are stuck in serious addiction, that have sin that has just latched onto their lives, that have got so much that they're at war with and they feel defeated. I pray, God, that you would show grace to them to help remind them that you're with them. But I pray, God, that you won't allow us to grow apathetic about any of it. But, God, we would truly learn to hate what's killing your people. That we would take things like pride, that we would take division, that we would take selfishness, and we would label them for what they are. We would label what's righteous, righteous, and we would label what's wicked, wicked, and we would designate our mind and our heart and our soul and everything that's in it to be a temple that belongs to you alone. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for Josiah (laughs) thousands of years ago, um, transforming lives even today because of um, the bravery of an eight-year-old. It's in Christ we come before you. Amen.